You know you're a surveyor when you've waited all season for this very special podcast with our very own Phil Parnham. There's nothing more for me to say. Let's get stuck in. Hello, Phil. It's really good to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. What's the next line? Thank you for inviting me on your programme. Yeah, Yeah, even though you you were late. Yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, yeah. A a, a diary mishap. I'm changing over from Outlook to Google Calendar. So um, I haven't quite got my reminders set up properly yet. Well, diary management is the bane of my life and that's why I have my lovely VA Alexia to organise everything. Well, well, now, now I don't have so much contact with Alexia. That's why I miss appointments. Yeah. So. so believe it or not, there'll be people out there, Phil, who have no idea who you are. Whilst you're godlike to many surveyors out there, some mm. people have no idea who you are. So how would you introduce yourself? How would, they, how would you introduce yourself? Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I was just trying to write something about my new status i suppose or or, or um, presence in, in in the profession okay uh the facts of the matter uh chartered building surveyor with uh a, you know a reasonable number of years of experience in various areas so i don't know do you want it chronologically if i could say that well let, let's let's start with welcome phil uh, the uh, i was gonna say award-winning but i don't think you're award-winning no. uh, with the very well-known author of books that we've all studied and learnt and tried to buy on eBay because <laughs> mm. they're not in print anymore. Phil Parnham. But let's just have a chat about how you got started uh, as a surveyor. Did you always wanted to want to be a surveyor and get into construction and things or not? No, I had no idea. I wanted to be a geologist. Ah, oh, so with. did I. Yeah, well, it, this is the route into surveying. And all my years in academia, I think the vast majority of people I've taught uh, surveyors have all been failed geographers or geologists. And that was the love of my life, really. You know, physical geography, getting out into the Lake District and North Wales and valleys and erosion and uh, all all of that sort of stuff. In particular, geology. uh, uh, My geology teacher at school I found uh, really quite inspirational uh, inspirational, and got me interested in um, in hard rocks and then I uh, I remember going on a course with the National Coal Board as it was then when they used to have money and they used to identify uh, lower sixth students take them away on a three three day jolly at Leeds University to try and get them into mining engineering and anyway I was sold on it but they didn't want me um, because, uh, well, for many reasons, probably, but because I didn't have a science background. They wanted mathematicians and, and people who knew about chemistry and physics, whereas I was just geography, bit of maths, bit of geology, you know, that's that soft side of things. And I think that's where lots of surveyors come from, don't they, is mm. we haven't really got that hard edge scientific knowledge but we've got a little bit of it. Yeah, it's interesting because we don't really come under STEM. You know, when mm. we talk about the STEM, science, technology, engineering, maths, and there's mm. a big push on STEM, and surveyors mm. don't quite fit into that, do they? Mm. Well, well, even building surveyors, and, and I know lots of them will resent this, but we are 
using metric uh, a centimetre deep and a kilometre wide. Um, and we have to be. Uh, we are Jack and Jacqueline's of all trades and, and masters of non mysticism. Who are we? If you can get the genderless version of that right. <laughs> And yeah, so so uh, well, I was left at that point. Uh, I applied for university. Uh, I got a place at Leeds University, would you believe, doing geography sciences. And then literally two weeks before I started, somebody said, well, what the hell are you going to do with a geography sciences degree? And I didn't really know what geography sciences was. And so I started looking around for other more, I didn't realise it at the time, more vocational routes uh, and I saw this thing called building surveying at Leicester Poly. And I thought surveying, I did a bit of that on geography. You know, it's about those theodolite things. And so I applied for it, got a place on it. And it couldn't have been more different. But what was nice, I ended up liking it. Um, so that that was my introduction to it. 18-year-old, I knew nothing about the working world. I'd never been on a building site. I'd done a bit of DIY. And yeah, yeah, I, I came, it was a full-time course, wasn't even a sandwich education. So I left with a um, a building surveying degree. And the first day in my first job at Hearts County Council Architects Department was the most frightening day I've ever had, because I knew nothing, really, and nothing useful. And so it was a, a pretty rapid learning experience from day one. Work experience makes such a difference, doesn't it? Mm. I remember yeah. when, and I've talked about it on the podcast before, when I, I managed to, I was a mature student, but I managed to get on a graduate scheme with a construction firm. And on my first day, there were six of us, the five other graduates were worried about answering the phone. Yeah. And I was thinking, geez, yeah. am I going to, how yeah. am I, if they're worried about that, how am I going to fare over the next 18 months? Yeah. I had other challenges, but that yeah, the, the life experience and, and the work experience makes a, a quite a difference. And, and surveyors need a level of maturity, I think, to you know, the things that they see and being able to process things. But you you were quite green then. Oh, oh God, yeah. I, I, what was interesting, I, I was their first graduate that ever employed because the, the rest of the team, and it's quite a large team in that, that's before, you know, Thatcher, the milk snatcher, came in and um, stopped public uh, uh, authorities spending so much money. Uh, you know, the rest of the team all came through HNC, uh, ONC, that sort of thing. So I remember sitting at a drawing board because it was all, you know, pens and inks and things like that. And this uh, technician guy who'd got his HNC was working towards his RICS. Just said, hey, look, I've been asked to give you this job. It's just designing a, a covered way for this junior school. And he sort of outlined, uh, uh, you know, some of the overall designs and how it will all fit together and metal angles this and cleats. And, and, and uh, oh, right, OK. He says, look, crack on with it. Uh, give us a shout when you've got the drawings done. And I remember looking at the notes he gave me and the explanation it provided and thinking, I don't understand a word of what he said to me. And so I just had to be open and upfront with him. And he was great. He was very supportive. And uh, so it took me a long time to be of any use, really, to him in a practical sense. But, but um, you know, and you're right, since then, and I suppose that's why I enjoyed my time at Sheffield Poly, Sheffield Hallam, whatever you want to call it, is I was really committed towards that sandwich education thing. 
And also, I'd like to think that, yeah, graduates bring different things to the party. And yeah, slow takeoff. But once you get off the ground, hopefully a steep climb uh, um, because of the rest of the skills you've got. So how did you go from working for the local authority to work in academ- academia and, and, and Sheffield Hallam? It, it's interesting. I, I was a, quite a political animal. Uh, really? Yes. yes <laughs> yeah, it, that may come as a surprise to people. And, and I was very involved in the trade union movements um, at Hertfordshire. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cutbacks on public services and things like that. And, and I got very much involved in NALGO, as it was called, the local government trade union. And, and surveying just wasn't cutting it for me. You know, all my mates were like social workers or community workers, or all of that sort of stuff. And um, I remember saying this to me, boss, you know, I even contemplated retraining as a youth worker, because coincidentally, I'd been doing organising the maintenance for Sheffield Youth Service. Uh, I'm sorry, not Sheffield, Hertfordshire Youth Service. And, and I wanted something a little bit more socially useful. And my boss said, hey, look, why don't you go into London and work for one of those housing associations? You know, they're, they're a bunch of socialists. You should fit in well with them. And and that's what I did. Uh, I went into London and worked in uh, housing maintenance for one of the larger housing associations in their early years and really enjoyed that. I suppose and specialised in housing defects, especially like condensation and dampness and things like that. And then I moved to uh, Islington Council, Architects Department, again, a bit more of a defect specialist and ended up in a semi-research role, semi-training role, you know, looking at, you know, the more specialist problems associated with um, prefabricated housing, you know, uh, walk-up estates, that sort of thing. And so, oh God, you know, we've gone forward a few years. Bought my first house by then, daughter had been born. Uh, We were beginning to think, you know, do do we want to bring a family up in London, in Tottenham in London, or do we want to move elsewhere? And um, I remember I said to my partner, Sue, oh, would it be great if a job came up in Sheffield, say? Sheffield Poly, for example, because my sister lived up here. And uh, literally next week, the job came up, building, surveying, lecture, start and develop new courses. Um, so I applied for it. There were no other applicants. <laughs> That's why I was saying, right? Because it was a boom time, you see. Nobody went wanted to go into academia. And yeah, yeah, so they offered me the post. And um, and yeah, I started uh, in the September 88. And, you know, they said, oh, yeah, OK, um, brilliant construction, that sort of thing you're into, isn't it? And um, can you teach HNC year two, construction two, uh, as my first module? And I don't know if you've ever taught HNC two, but they're frightening. Whatever year, whatever region, a part of the country, they're experienced, they're knowledgeable, they're big, and they're generally male. And uh, I, I still get nervous on a Thursday morning, where, when uh, that, that's when I used to teach at nine till half ten. So that that was a baptism of fire on the teaching front. So um, so that was Sheffield Poly became Hallam, and I stayed there until probably too long really 18 years so um, so yeah wow so, quite quite a long time to be somewhere yeah yeah and i probably told you this privately before but the, the time i realized that i needed to leave 
was that I was set the same exam for the 17th year. Not not the same exam, the, the questions varied, but it's mm-hmm. called maintenance technology. And um, I remember thinking, well, look, 170 students take this exam. So that means in two months' time, I've got to mark 170 students times three answers. And, and that, I, I used to find that mind-numbing. And by that time, I think I'd had enough, really. I'd, I wanted a change. I needed another challenge. So, um, so yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, but during that latter few years, I'd started um, a more outward role with the university, you know, doing uh, training for corporate organisations, you know. And it was at the time when the um, Home Information Pack Home Inspector Initiative was taken off the ground, and this um, this young chap called uh, Christopher Rispin, I think, um, from <laughs> Allied Surveyors at the time. I've been working with Chris one way or another for a number of years, and uh, he, he made me an offer I w- would have been crazy to refuse. So I left Hallam and joined Allied Surveyors to develop their home, in- home, home information pack initiatives just at the time when... It was all cancelled, really. So um... yeah, and and there's a lot of surveyors out there who became surveyors because they were training to be home inspectors. And mm. I, you know, I I did my dissertation back in 2000, mm. 2001 on uh, you know the home information pack and would it be a good mm. idea and, and things. So slightly a little bit before my time, but just as you're talking, then I'm thinking, what an exciting time! Oh, it's brilliant. You know, you know for things happening a different view on the way we buy and sell houses you know just before I, I i came on here to you know to talk to you on the podcast there's a report out i'll put a link to it in the show notes just about the quality of property in the uk particularly rental mm. and home maintenance and you know and you know, let's face it, it's been a really difficult couple of years for lots of different reasons. But when I think back then, it was really exciting, just the the possibility of real significant change for for the good, not just for home buyers mm, and sellers, mm, but mm. for, you know, for, for the industry. So... Yeah, it, it was. And, and um, yeah, yeah. And, and it was challenging for the establishment as well in, in mm-hmm. I think, in the RICS uh, and others because um, we, we were teaching big classes. I mean, the RICS themselves started up, the, uh, I don't know if you remember, the Safe As yeah. company um, where they themselves were training people and assessing people uh, to be home inspectors. And um, I remember we were down, used to a venue in Coventry, and there were classes of... Um, 60 and 70 people, you know, ex-trades people, people from the forces, retraining, police officers, head teachers, you name it. It captured everybody's imagination. And, and it was the most diverse classes uh, that I've ever taught, you know, in relation to surveying. And, mm. uh, and so, yeah, it was dead exciting. And, um, and yeah, you, you, you just sense there just wasn't that political will and political courage to carry it through. I, I mean, there's lots of um, negative things about it. I think it was, oh, God, you know, it was all this competency-driven stuff and it was like... Yeah, and, and, and technology. I mean, you know, we're 22 years later mm. you know, and, mm. and technology has moved on so much and could that happen again? I know, I know Kate Faulkner 
who I will get on the podcast at some point, you know, and a home buying and selling group, they're looking at, you know, across the industry, what could be done to do things better, more efficient mm. with a mm. real consumer homeowner focus. But there's, you, it, it comes down to politics, doesn't it? You know, well, and, well, it and, does. And, 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 and as we sit here today, we've got a new housing minister. I think it's yeah. number 20 in as many yeah. years, which is just ridiculous. And if we don't put housing at the heart of the cabinet, you know, well, it's well, me getting well, on my political soapbox, Phil. Well, 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 well in, in, in a way, what that taught me is never trust a politician. Ne- and and I, I, after Yvette Cooper, and I, and I know this might, you want to check this out with your libel lawyers, but after she ruined my life, no, no, um, so, no, seriously, after she cancelled, well, she made home condition reports non-mandatory, if I recall. Which like pulled the rug from underneath yeah. the Home Inspector Initiative, and and after that change, I, you know, I thought I'm never gonna ever work on an initiative that is um, the future of which is determined by politicians. We just got to find solutions for ourselves. Out, I, I know it sounds quite anarchic in, in in that way, but outside of that political sphere, because they are so all the time changing they are so fickle and we can't rely on them to uh, provide that consistency over the years you know because policy changes so frequently it Um, does and you know whatever people think of politics or not there'll be people who agree or, or disagree with you what i'm hearing though and what i see a lot with surveyors is to actually trust yourself and feel empowered to go out and do what you need to do and you'll find a way and I, and I see that a lot. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and, and you, you connect with the public. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I do believe as a charts of air, there's a public duty uh, piece going on here as well. But but yeah, is 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 if as a profession we can provide a survey ser, service that's uh, relevant and appropriate for what you know the the public out there want, then that's the best way to go forward and, and mm. let. Let the governors, let let the regulators, uh, let the politicians follow in our wake, really, you know. Mm. Mm. And so we're together with Chris, you created Blue Box Partners. Yeah, Chris, it, it was Chris's baby, really, and I joined him. And it was also Allied Surveyors' baby as well. It was their little way of developing these new initiatives to run alongside uh, Allied Surveyor. So I was an Allied Surveyor employee, and then things changed, and then the crash came as well. Well, well, I suppose to be chronologically uh, correct, there was, first of all, the um, change in the Home Information Pack, which pulled the rug from under the Home Inspector Initiative. Then we started uh, big time on... um, domestic energy assessor training, which then got swamped with all the uh, home inspectors that didn't become home inspectors. And people flock into that because of these uh, false promises of massive salaries and incomes and things. So, yeah, and and then shortly after that came the property crash, uh, which made a whole lot difference. And, um, uh, And then myself and Chris bought Blue Box Partners off Allied for a quid. And, yeah, yeah, we we uh, had a few lean years. I certainly remember salary in one year was was almost went back to 
some of my earliest salaries in proportion terms. It was uh, it, it was um, an opportunity to uh, for personal development and resilience. And so, um, mm, so and yeah, we, and we all we all go through it, the ups and downs. But it's how you how you react and bounce back, I guess, isn't it? Yeah, and it was great because having uh, Mr. Rispin around, who was always you know very interested in the business side of things. Uh, I, I mean, and this is one of my big gaps as well you know uh, you know on the business strategy side i was i was i was never i've never been a big one for you know vision where we go i just i just get stuck in you know just uh, follow me interest in many ways and uh and yeah it was great for um for, for to have chris around to be working with chris over all those years that uh you know i i could be effectively managed sorry creatively managed <laughs> i think he used to think of it so some of the training that you've delivered through Blue Box, as you know, it's been fantastic and you're very well regarded by a lot of surveyors out there. They really miss the surveys in practice roadshows and, and you know, whether you do them for Blue Box or RICS or, or whatever. Uh, did you enjoy delivering them? Oh, brilliant. And that's the thing, isn't it? Is um, That's the, the terrible thing about the pandemic is it's taken away that collegial sort of face-to-face that that it, it's a sort of a family it's a bunch of mates you know people i've realized that i've been seeing year after year after year so consistently that that you know i've missed them you know it's been mm. crazy I, I mean i suppose there's also uh, uh you know there's been a lot of things going on for me personally over the last few years that that I've decided that, hey, look, uh, I'm not going to, um, you know, pound the tarmac, so to speak, or travel up and down and around the country so much. I think I've I've been there, seen that, done that. But as that falls away, probably on a semi-permanent, probably a permanent basis, it, it's that part of it I'm going to really miss. It's not seeing uh, uh, the people that, you know, form that bit of a bond with over the years. So, uh, yeah, that's the biggest change. Your fan, your fan club, you mean? You miss your fan club? Well, you know, I wouldn't, you know, the sad old kids, you know. Uh, it's the, it just shows you how small their lives are. That's all I say to them. But, you know, I, I totally get it. And I think I think lots of us, you know, not been able to to meet people face to face. And although we've got the Surveyor Hub where people can connect and, and, and you feel sort of part of something, there's nothing better than than being in the room at the at the end of the day, and it is the relationships you be, you build with people, absolutely. But then you know what's right and important is that you you do what's right for you, and sometimes it's time to take a step back mm. you know, and concentrate on your family, your health, and let's face it, COVID has just thrown everything into the works, and, and things can really you know affect us in lots of lots of different ways and give us that different perspective can't it mm, mm, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. I, I mean it's interesting you saying that that um you know pre-covid when yeah we all went to the cpd events and things like that and and although we value you know being with people and having those shared experiences the thing that covid and the virtual world has taught me and and i suppose this goes back in my experience of academia generally, is actually going to a conference, that traditional conference, isn't the most effective way of being with people. You know, because, like, the amazing thing I always used to love is um, 
I do a lot of work with Michelle Tobias, you know, on the professional conferences she runs. And um, there's, there's a place she uses in Watford. And, and I always remember, you, you know, you go down into this big, you know, because uh, they have about 150, 200 people there, the, the lecture theatre, I suppose, or, or area. And, and there's uh, coffee stations all around the edge. And you go down there about half eight for the nine o'clock start. And it's buzzing. You know, people are absolutely chat, 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 loads of noise. And, and then it starts at nine o'clock, total silence. And even if people want to join in, it's difficult to, you know, in that sort of sense. Um, and then a coffee time, fantastic amount of noise. and chat. But but then you have to drag people away from the coffee stations because they're, they're still talking, they're still catching up, they're still discussing issues. And I thought... Well, you know, when we build again, you know, when when life gets to some sort of normal, surely there's better ways of, of, of interacting professionally than just hundreds of us sitting in a room listening to one person irrelevantly spout about stuff at the beach. So, so you know, if if I had the energy, I think that's where. I'd like to be doing some work about maybe, you know, the sort of stuff that you've been looking at, you know, a bit more networking, you know, a bit more linking up with local practices, you know, workshoppy case study stuff, you know, and that will, you know, not only be more relevant to people, but, you know, the greatest teachers that there are in professions are your fellow professionals, isn't it, really? It's sharing that experience. You know, Absolutely. So. It's it's what you learn from your peers and having that mm. discussion mm. rather mm. than being talked at. And yeah. the thing is with a lot of CPD days is, you know, even though we might just work in residential, say, that can be so broad, mm. so broad mm. that to get one CPD day that hits the mark, mm. you know, is actually quite hard unless you're, you know, training for a particular subject. It's, it is mm. quite hard. And so having a variety of things that you can that you can talk about is you know and I know the blue box day roadshows and things that we do we try to have a, a bit of a mix when we when we ran them mm. but it, it's that human interaction mm. yeah, and, yeah yeah and that you know and you describe it perfectly you know that just that buzz that hum mm. yeah. it's trying to get everyone back in the room but then it's also watching out for the three o'clock nappers Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah there's yeah. always some of them. Mm, mm, mm. Well, well, that's that's why uh, the graveyard slot. Um, I, I often, I often, and still do, offer to take that slot, that post lunch, because that that's that that's then the opportunity to get something, you know. And then, well, surveyors, surveyors love photos of defects. Yeah, you know, so to make it very visual, but but also really, it'd be lovely to make it more interactive. You know, and and um, on the surveys, uh, surveys in practice, myself and Larry did did quite a few interactive workshops post lunch. You know, splitting people into you know even larger groups into into tables of um, uh, you know workshop tables and um, get them uh, to solve a problem and to give some feedback. And and that's scary for trainers, you see, because you know what what you don't want a lot of people don't want is to hear that hubble bubble of talking and discussion. But I love it. You know, the louder that is, the the more animated you see people being on tables you know, the greater feedback you know, that you get. 
and yeah, but but you know, within that format, within uh, you know that sort of learning environment, you've still got to have structure. You've still got to have a purpose to it. And what's really important is you've got to have closure as well. You know, pe- people like yeah chatting around with fellow professionals about something but yeah okay phil yeah he thinks that and i think this so so what do you think and that's the most important ending bit isn't it so do you feel like an expert no not at all i know nothing and i'm not a proper surveyor i know you've heard me say that before i really am not a proper surveyor because i've done so little of it but if i've got anything to offer it's listening to people who are real surveyors. And, and I suppose over the years, that's what I've had enough opportunity to do is to hear other problems, you know, like, um, I, I don't know, lenders' instructions of uh, do this, do that, or, or um, you know, new RICS formats. I mean, and I was involved in formulating those to some extent, so it is all my fault. But but like like listening to people and saying, well, look, it just doesn't work because of this. Or, or do you know what? When, when you're looking at this, you can't do that. And do you know what I found so useful for me as a trainer or, or whatever it is the uh, Surveyor's Hub, just reading the commentary on there. Yeah, there's a few. Um, you know, uh, <laughs> dodgy quite, contributions. Quite politely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But there's a but but you get a sense of what people are thinking, and that's very, so. So all I've done really is is I've assembled those thoughts, and, and and I guess what I like to think of myself now in this in my my uh, twilight uh, period of my career is um, I've gotten to this deep thinking thing of just having the time to listen to all the feedback, do some bit of research around the topic, and try and get methodologies protocols ways of doing things that might help you know the classic thing isn't it is heart versus large Mm. is right okay you know what does that really mean how how can surveyors give clear guidance uh advice uh information to their clients that that uh, will not only be helpful but be clear and also protect the surveyor as well so it's trying, trying to come up with some some thoughts around that mm, and we we did a podcast on that didn't we um mm. a while ago so i'll put a link to that in the, the mm. show notes i asked you that about being an expert because i come across a lot of surveyors who train to do the next thing the next qualification you know like our good friend larry who has literally the alphabet yeah well, you know his, his and, business card is so big <laughs> <laughs> you know and that's fine he can can do all of those uh those things but there's a there's a sense of uh you know achieving things and the recognition you get from you know perhaps getting your fellowship or getting the next you know degree or qualification or learning a new subject but sometimes it's also driven by imposter syndrome of not feeling good enough and and I come across a lot of surveyors that I coach and I sometimes see it in the surveyor hub where I know some of these people have the answer you know, or they they know, but they, you know, aside from the whole social media piece, they worry about being criticised or mm. saying the wrong thing. Mm. And when you put yourself out there as an expert, then people, yes, they will arguably shoot you down, but it's the way you approach it. And you've always said, you know, you don't know enough about about mm. surveying or not, you know, um, compared to some. And and I and I have similar. You know, the number of years, you know, I think I did about six years 
actually inspecting properties then the rest of it was dealing with complaints and claims Mm. so for a long time I didn't feel a good enough surveyor but it's looking at it as the whole as the the part that you play in the surveying world of training and supporting and helping all of these surveyors to be the best they can be yeah but it's it's across a very narrow band I mean really it's building defects for me Mm. You, you, you know and uh, and, and I always tell the story of when uh, my eldest daughter was eight, we were in Italy, and, and we were in this mountain village that was fantastically affected by subsidence or subsidence or whatever. And I remember using all the family uh, photographic film on taking photos of, of cracks, and I remember saying, Dad, this is a holiday, not a survey. And, and so I, I suppose... You know, I've just been fascinated in a very small-minded way with buildings, how they perform over the, you know, over time. And uh, you know, I'm always looking, like most surveyors are, at the sides of buildings, or you get invited around for dinner, and you know, you get to the loo and you notice the problems, don't you? And all of that sort of stuff. Um, you, Phil, did you feel guilty about that when your daughter said? It's a holiday, not a survey. Well, for about five minutes, uh, and, uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, I bought another ice cream, and that was the end of the trouble, you know. Um, but, but, um, but, but, in terms of, am I an expert? You know, during my time, I've said earlier, I know nothing about business issues. You know, so I, I, I never looked at business-related issues. I never worried about uh, what's the best for tax, uh, what's the best strategy, what, what what's coming up in the future, you know, and, and all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I couldn't uh, focus on that narrow width of knowledge, whereas, you know, for most of the tribe, as we call them, the surveyors of type people, the independents, the sole traders, small practices, they have such a wide... You know, I mean, I'm just negotiating, well, not negotiating, I'm just setting up professional indemnity insurance for the first time, you know, ever. Because somebody's always looked after that, either you or Christmas Spin or whatever. And it's so complicated, you know, you have to yeah. read so much stuff. And, and I'm coming across, uh, you know, concepts and ideas and, and, and issues to decide for the first time in my professional life. And that's because... I've been so narrow up to this point. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, I'm just finding it really a fascinating uh, insight, really. I guess, though, that, that must be quite interesting for you because there's a – we're often trained and, and taught, you know, this is the way to do things. This is mm. the proper way to do things. But then the reality then of running a business, you know, getting around all your jobs, dealing with your PI, et cetera, you can see how things start to slip you know, and I'm not necessarily saying that, you know, people cut corners, but we become less efficient, you know, if we're tired, um, you know, the, the stresses and strains. You can start to see how it's really hard to be on point doing everything right all the time. And obviously that's then, you know, where claims come in. Yeah. Oh, 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 oh absolutely. Absolutely. And and that's why... I mean, it's quite interesting where uh, the crash, you know, in 2006, 7, 8, or whatever. Uh, I actually, uh, as you know, went back on the tools. Uh, I was always, you know, I've always done expert witness work. Um, and, and I've always done quite a bit of uh, specific defects investigations. But I went back on pre purchase surveys as well. 
And it's interesting because what I found is, is I didn't have those, um, I didn't have the ability to identify what are the most important issues on this inspection. Do you know what I mean? And, and I've run loads of um, inspection masterclasses for surveyors. And, and I've been amazed on how quickly some of the best surveyors I've ever met can focus on the main issues about the property. Do you know what I mean? Like, like whereas I'd be uh, almost like a, a new graduate in a way of, oh, you know, oh, got to, got to look at this. Got and, and I'd be focusing so much on, on nuance uh, or too much detail. And when I'd be missing something massive over there, you know, and and that's what experience gives you, isn't it? And I suppose that's what it gives you in business is that, yeah, you just got to focus on the main issues when there's so many different pools on your time because you're an employer, you, you, you know, you're running this broader business, you're serving clients and all of that sort of stuff. You, you, you've got to focus on the main things and the most important things. But, you know, it's just that you haven't done it or didn't do it and, and it's but it's things that you can learn. So once you become aware of it, of the things that you need to prioritize in your work and your business, it's just a learned habit. Oh yeah, 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 but, yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah. But but what we what we don't always have, I think, is enough people talking about it, which is why I like to talk about mm. business and things on these on these mm. podcasts because mm. it just gives some insights for people. You know, not just the the tough the, the tough stuff you know the stress the worry the pi the claims but also the really good stuff of being able to choose your work choose your clients being able to say mm. no being able to you know be there for the kids after school and mm. you know take time off and things there are you know lots of benefits to it oh goodness yeah yeah, you know, yeah. just a very different way way mm. of working can mm. we talk about claims yeah 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 and have you ever had a claim well yeah yeah, you know damn well I have. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's. Um, I, I mean that that was a fantastic learning process for me in so many different ways, and uh, you know the details of it uh, was that I was doing a building survey of a, a you know a fairly large, largish country property, not massive. It was built in the sixties, seventies, and added to and and, and whatever. And um, yeah, it, it was. Uh, I was really enjoying it. I really enjoyed doing that survey. It was brilliant. And um, I remember it was just in on the edge of the Peak District. It's just very close to one of the major rivers that, that runs through the Peak District. I won't be too specific. And um, one of the key issues for me was like to make sure that all the drainage, you know, the grey water and foul drainage, you know, went in the right drains you know uh, and obviously not into the river and um i i i found this sink waste that that, that went into um uh well not so much a soak away but a collecting tank of, of surface water stuff that went into the river so it, it was a misconnection I was, I, it took me ages to find this to trace this waste pipe and drainage connection which involved me crawling underneath this raised concrete patio out the back because it was on a sloping side. I won't bother too much with the detail. But anyway, I had to crawl under this um, sort of uh, semi-raised area and there was a concrete, um, cast concrete uh, patio floor just 
uh, you know, slab just above me. And I could see the waste pipe running down there. Brilliant. Took photos of it and whatever. But what I forgot to do was look upwards and, and looking at the carbonated uh, concrete and the rusting reinforcement just above my head um, that I actually captured on film. <laughs> so when the claim came in, what could you do? And yeah, it was, it was a payout and it was a learning experience. And it showed to me that, that yeah, you, you, you've got to keep that focus during the inspection, you know. Um, but also it, it taught me how bad it makes you feel, mm. how, how, how you question your own competence and how it sh- shakes that confidence. And, and, and I know that the next time... You know, uh, I, I did an inspection and a report. Uh, I took much longer. I was much more cautious uh, and, and measured. And um, and yeah, it's that it's that um, vicious cycle, isn't it? It's hard to get out of that and to remember that. Look, I'm here to serve the you know the client. I'm here to provide them with the advice they need to make a purchase decision. But when your fingers have been burned, when you've been affected by uh, a claim like that, especially if it's um, this wasn't particularly nasty, but but if it's um, you know a, a speculative one where you think somebody's just after your blood, just after money, you know, and and all of that sort of stuff, then it's it's really hard because what's important, I think, is to take yourself back to the time. What were you doing at that time when you missed, you know, mm. the. Uh, you know the concrete and what you described you were so engrossed in what you were doing you didn't look up Mm, and sometimes you know in in my experience of working with surveyors over the years is that either it's that you're too engrossed Mm. or you're too busy or you just didn't walk around the the boundary like you Mm. uh you know like you should i remember one claim i dealt dealt with many years ago a boundary wall huge retaining wall huge crack couldn't miss it Mm. It was a guy, a job the guy was fitting in on a Saturday, mm. you know, mm. and he just, just didn't do his mm. routine the usual mm. way. Mm. Other times we can be, you know, tired, stressed, worried, you know, and putting yourself back into it. And other times you've just no idea, no mm. idea where, you know, they can come out of, you know, out of the uh, like curveball. Um, mm. mm. But what's important, you know, is what you learn from it is the approach that you then take, but to do it in a positive way mm. rather than fear. Mm. You know, so mm. being cautious, mm. but doing mm. it to make sure you are doing the best, report to your best of your ability mm. rather mm. than, so this doesn't happen again and I don't get sued. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. that's where, I'm just moving on to paragraphs, mm. people then start to put standard paragraphs to cover in absolutely everything. And actually, mm. I've seen that backfire. paragraphs put in but a lot of people even now in the hub and i had a message you know someone messaged me privately yesterday saying do i have any standard paragraphs that i can you know sell and Mm. you know um i'm all for efficiency and you know and having a a a guide Mm. but equally you've got to be in control of those but you're known as Mr. I mean, lots of people, as I say, you're known as Mr. Paragraph. And you're not mm. <laughs> Mr. Standard mm. Paragraph. But, you know, people always ask for the standard paragraphs that you wrote. Mm. Uh, mm. So was it RICS survey writer? 
uh, yeah, 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 uh, uh, that's right. Um, yeah, and, and uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, dear old um, Malcolm Hollis, uh, you know, uh, God, I uh, still can't believe he's mm. sadly died. But, um, but I remember, I think, in one of his books or one of his lectures of his I went to, he, he had something to say about standard paragraphs, he's, he, you know, and I remember him saying that, um, look, every report I've written, I've, I've written a description of lath and plaster. So do you actually, you know, every report you do, describe lath and plaster and then describe what's wrong with it? Or do you just have a s- standards phrase or, or paragraph or, or, or whatever that, that you can cut and paste and put into that report and, you know, but then place it in context? So, yeah, that, that's why I think when I worked with the RICS on, on those, we called them sample phrases, not standard paragraphs. Right. And, and, and they're there to support your report writing, not to, uh, you know, like a blunderbust approach of, uh, oh, oh, I've got a cavity wall. Oh, I've got half a dozen good paragraphs on that. Boom, 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 boom. And, and, and that's why you get these um, 50-page home buyer reports that we used to get, that still gets, because people do load them up with those sample, you know, uh, standard paragraphs. And, and the best thing you can do is to build up your own suite. Yeah, yeah, you know. p- Pinch everybody's, you know, by all means, you know. Well, well, I'm sure, again, I'm, I've told so many people this, that uh, I was doing uh, a conference for um, Collis, you know, the old um, Halifax uh, arm at the time, mm. and um, they had mandatory preferred paragraphs. And uh, I, I always remember showing them um, a photo of a roof defect, you know, a cracked tile or, or whatever. And I just, this open question, uh, you know, I said, right, there's about 60, 70 people there. And I said, right, what do you think to that then? Silence. You know, and that's that. Where, where, yeah, what do, you, what do you think? Anybody thoughts on that? And a hand went up at the back. I said, yes, Adam. He says, I think that's the 64. And I thought, shit, what the <laughs> hell is he on about? Yeah, okay, thanks. Uh, anybody else, you know, got any other thoughts? Another hand went up. Oh, thank God. How about you say, no, that's never a 64, it's a 72. And and then the room was almost in uproar. You know, no, it's a 64. And and then I realised that they were talking about their preferred paragraphs. So so they were writing their reports. And and, and because they had to as well, it wouldn't get past their own internal audit, as far as I understood, Mm. if if they varied too far from that. So it was like, yeah, interestingly, because I I think there was, and and I I can buy into this, that if you give people too much licence, they may go down weird rabbit holes. Do you know what I mean? So so if you can marshal them into, you know, a a sensible-ish path, but then allow them to add the context and uh, make them as bespoke as uh, they possibly can, then that's probably a better way. Well, context is key to it all, isn't it? Yeah. Well, well I, I think the one thing I did like in the home survey standard specifically, I, I remember a couple of people on the working group, I can't remember the names now, did say, look, survey reports have got to be property-specific. Mm. And, and I think that's that's the key phrase in the home survey standards for me, the, the, and, and that will help people move away from that blind use, you know, indiscriminate use of uh, 
paragraphs, standard paragraphs. You mentioned the home survey standards. I'd like to ask you about that because I don't think everybody or lots of surveyors listening understand how these things come about and how mm. they, they work. So you were the author of the home survey standard, which is uh, now, technical author. Technical author, mm. yeah, mm. which is now now enforced. Took a bit of a bit of a COVID bumpy ride to get it released, but, yes, indeed, <laughs> but it's indeed, there. Yeah. How does it come about? How does it work? You mentioned a working group. How did it happen? How did it get to where it was? Well, well, my, my impression of it, and and again, you know, you you know, I, although I've done a lot of work with RICS, I've never been part of its uh, bureaucracy or its, its governance or, or, or whatever. But I, I think there was that sense that the home survey brand needed a review. So many things were changing, and and, and of course, actually, uh, Graham Ellis was a massive champion for that. Oh, fantastic! Um, yeah. yeah, you know. Uh, we own such a big debt of gratitude, you know, um, to, to to poor old Graham. And, um, you know, and, and I think, well, I'm, when I was doing the home survey standard and when I'm, you know, writing the second edition of the book at the moment, his name is over so many things. And he, he started up the home uh, the um, survey and practice seminars, and he, he demanded that there should be, uh, you know, reasonably costed rather than the ridiculous uh, price that RICS often charge for those sort of things. But yeah, he 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 set up the home survey brand, you know, the old condition report and uh, you know home buyer report and building survey in, in that particular stable. But I think so many things were changing. Corporates and the independents alike were wanting to do different things and they were finding like the home buyer just too restrictive, too prescriptive. And, and so the, the uh, I think RICS, I'm not sure which part of the structure came out with this sort of brief that we wanted to review uh, condition related, uh, you know, property surveys, you know, uh, with, with a few key pointers, a few key objectives. And then they assembled a, a working group, which I think was a fairly balanced range of people from different backgrounds. And they had a, you know, a project manager uh, from RICS point of view, some admin support, and the technical author really. And it was my role I saw to 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 bring some coherence to that discussion and that debate, but but coherence that responded to the original aims and objectives we were set by RICS themselves. And uh, the home survey standard was always going to be that light touch benchmarking document. Uh, within which people could create their own products, uh, their own services to suit uh, the clients that they serve rather than trying to fit every client into these preformed packages. And it, and it decoupled, didn't it, the um, levels of inspection with products. And, and I, I often describe it as it means that you can use whatever coloured paper and pink sparkly writing you want to do your reports so long as you make it clear what you're doing yeah, what level yeah. it's at and, yeah. and you know there's there's been lots of feedback lots of mixed feedback you know some surveyors have found it quite transformational and, and changing everything the way mm. that you know that, that, that they operate and work now whereas others in particularly a lot of you know one-man bands and independents are saying well this actually doesn't make much of a difference 
because they mm. were working that way anyway. So it, I guess it sort of pulls it all. all yeah, yeah. I, I think it's sort of settling down mm. at the moment. It, it, you know, the classic case is that you know, insofar as we did get into some level of detail, you know, uh, in, in the document, uh, just take for example banal area of, of the extent of inspection. We tried to lay down those three different levels of inspection of some key elements, you know, like windows, you know. And I, I know it sounds, if other professions heard us talk about the way we do about our job, they'll be appalled at us. But, but, you know, windows, you know, level one, you know, you should be doing a level one service on fairly modern property. So there's not going to be a lot of problems with the windows, hopefully. So maybe you just open a sample of one per elevation, something like that. And, and then I, I could say, well, level two, you're probably doing slightly older properties, you know, in you know, more variable conditions. So one per elevation and one of each type, if there's a variety, and maybe a few more on, you know, the exposed elevations. Whereas on building surveys, you'd, you'd, you'd attempt to open all windows. And people would say, well, no, I, I, that's not how I do a survey. You know, whatever level of survey... I tend to open every window because I think that's what my clients want. And a simple reaction to that is, well, do it that way then. But as long as your clients know that's what you do, mm. then and, and it's upfront in the uh, terms of engagement and also there's a greater emphasis on working closer with your clients anyway, then that allows that, uh, I think, variation, but within those parameters the home survey standards uh, you know in totality so you mentioned your book and Mm. I want to ask you about writing and how did you get into writing books what what made you want to write a book well well it it was interesting um it's always technical writing of course you know I'm not a a very literary person at all and uh, oh well it goes back to when I was working in London for um, um, Islington Council, that's right, uh, and I was doing this specialist defects role. Uh, and I was the senior chemical dump-proof courses at the time were just, you know, causing a, a, a real controversy because they were so rubbish at the time. I, I, I don't mind saying that, and apologies to those good contractors out there that actually do a good job. But anyway, and, and I thought, oh, you know, Surely I can write something that, that would be helpful. And I remember just sending off a few speculative letters to the DIY magazine and one or two other things. And, um, you know, about chemical damp-proof courses, how to get it right. And anyway, it was the DIY magazine at the time that came back and said, oh, can you please, you know, um, if you do uh, so many hundred words, we'll pay 150 quid. I thought, blooming hey, this is all right. So, so anyway, did it, and that was my first article. I thought, oh, you know, I said, um, I said to myself, well, look, uh, there's a book out there on how to get work done on your house. So, so I thought, you know, read around a bit of how to write a book or how to find a publisher. And so I did a proposal, and I sort of uh, sent it around the, the various publishers and which books. Uh, which question mark uh, one picked it up and uh, and yeah uh, they commissioned me as the author to write it and so that was the first book and, and and I still use it and I still give it to people 
who were organising them. And it was just that, that was just about how to get contractors to do a decent job. Um, and, and so it was about um, a layperson's guide to putting together an idea for a project on their house, of trying to define what they want from it, trying to communicate that to a builder and, and trying to control, you know, write a simple contract and all that sort of stuff. And, and so that was the start of it, really. That was the first book. And then it obviously going into academia, um, you know, there's lots of publishing opportunities there. And you've got that other one with the fabulous title. The, the uh, Prevention of Premature Staining on New Buildings. Yeah, that's been my masterpiece. How did you come up with that? <laughs> Well, it says on the tin. Well, well, and and again, this again might be too tedious, but it was the last public housing project that Islington Architects ever built. It was in Hornsey in North London and a wonderful team of architects on it. And it was based on a design that one of the architects did for some Spanish housing in the Costa del Wherever, you know, as part of a architectural competition and and i remember one of my mates was an architectural technician at the time he, he was just designing some little low brick boundary uh, uh walls around the estate you know just low level ones and and he had put you know brick on edge coping but with red tile creasings underneath you know that just stuck out just to shed the water and the main architect came around and said what are those and he says well they're a traditional way of of providing a coping to a brick wall to shed the water. No, no, you can't have that. I want clean lines. You know, this modernist architecture, these clean lines. Okay, tell you what, put those tiles in, but but once all the cement's gone off, we'll grind them off smooth to the face of the brickwork. And this architectural technician said, look, in one year's time, that wall will be green, it'll be stained, it will look awful. Covered in algae. No, it won't. No, it won't. I want me clean lines. And so that's what happened. And what happened a year later, the whole estate was really um, spoiled because of the disfiguring staining, because people didn't think about the designs in the fourth dimension. You know, how did they weather over time? Mm. And so I, I had a bit of fun. I got a bit of a grant from the RICS, would you believe? Travelled around to the country a little bit took photos and, uh, and did a bit of research and yeah and, and they published it at the end so uh, so yeah uh, that, that was uh, but but the trouble is now with the internet that was before the internet but if you search for the book on the internet you get led through to some very different websites so you do and if you want to try and buy it you know a lot of your books now because they're 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 out of print they cost hundreds of pounds uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah yeah a, a book that was really Pivotal for me when I was a student, I I had a a copy of your residential property appraisal, I think it was called, uh, um, that you Mm -hmm. co-wrote with uh, Uh, with Chris. Oh, no, you can't see it because of my fully. Yeah, yeah, but I was just currently on the... I've got that one. And, um, you know, so so for me joining Blue Box... You know, and to work with you, and 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 yeah, I took over from Chris as he, he mm. retired. But it was quite intimidating because you wrote the book that I that I learned from. But also, then I got to know you. <laughs> I was thinking, what yeah, was I worried about? <laughs> yeah, what are you? What a sham! 
But I remember, and I looked, I got the book out and I, I looked through it and I, I got it in 2000 when I think it was uh, published. Mm. I remember it being expensive <laughs> as a student, mm. but I flicked through and I'd underlined, you know, all of these really useful stuff. Mm. And I remember showing it to you and you saying, oh yeah, you've, you've underlined my stuff. Mm, yeah, <laughs> Not yeah. Chris Not Christmas, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> And and we're now currently, theoretically anyway, updating that second edition is due to come out next. Um, yeah, and, and I want to ask you about that because that's, you know, 20 odd years and so much has changed. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. That's why we had an agreement with the publishers and we're very late and that's mainly my fault. But we had a, an agreement with the publishers uh, for 85,000 words for the second edition. Anyway, um a month ago, I sent through uh, 210,000 words, and uh, they they nearly had kittens. So anyway, uh, the residential property appraisal second edition is now actually residential property appraisal volumes one, two, and three. Um, so uh, I think we're probably going to get the third out of them. But volume one is about valuation uh, and law. Carry silvers and a fantastic section on law for uh, surveyors and uh, state managers and all that sort of stuff volume two is about inspection defects and reports um but because yeah, you're absolutely right so much has changed uh, volume three is hopefully going to be about building services because there's so much on that so um so yeah yeah that's and, and you read some stuff uh, and i well, the internet didn't really exist in 2001. It so sounds, much has changed. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? Absolutely yeah. crazy. But mm. there'll be youngsters listening to this thinking, God, yeah. we're so old. God, yeah. <laughs> get, get that sad old get off you. How, how do you find the process of writing? Do you have to be in the zone? Do you have to have the right headspace? How have you found writing? Half seven till uh, midday is my writing time. You know, and the premium time I just find is early in the morning. And I think it's something about, I can't write in the afternoon or evening. And and I think it's something about, is it the synapses overnight? You know, your brain seems to calm down and, and link things up and whatever. Because like, uh, often if I go back to something first thing in the morning, I can just, oh, yeah, I don't need to say it that way. I can say it this way. And, uh, and yeah, so, so um, regular. You know, just just uh, get it done, and and also be. It's not all about words. It's not all about the number of words you write. I've I've been. I know my colleagues will laugh at me, but um, I've been really influenced by Ernest Hemingway's Old Man in the Sea book, which apparently was quite controversial at the time because it was so minimal. You know, there's no flowery language about it, no big long sentences. It was really paired back and um so uh, in this new book we're, we're and it's not only me it's chris Rispin, larry russon uh carrie de silva fiona haggett uh, there's five of us yeah uh, uh they'll probably laugh at me saying that i'm much more concise but that's what i'm aiming to be so um, so yeah we look forward to it coming out mm, mm, yeah indeed indeed Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and catch up. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, no problem. Brilliant. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show today. I really hope you enjoyed it. 
You can find the show notes and links to any guests and resources we've mentioned today on the website, lovesurveying.com. And don't forget to show your support by buying me a coffee or you can rate, review and follow the podcast on your usual podcast platform. It really does make a difference and helps spread the word and reach a wider audience of surveyors who just love what they do. See you next time.